Thank you. Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site following the Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian, and uh, we got a big crowd today talking about corn. Everybody's excited about market opportunities this year, but you know there are a lot of challenges with corn too. We're coming off a big year for tar spot, coming off a big year for corn rootworms. Fertility prices are not cheap and availability of some crop inputs is a little bit tight or even sketchy. So lots of things going on with corn production right now. We're going to take your questions for today's program. So for our audience here, if you've got a question, just raise your hand. We've got a couple of folks up front with microphones. They'll come out. If you could just say your first name and what state you're from, we'll, we'll get, your, get your question out there. Okay, go ahead. Let's start over here. Hello, Jim from South Dakota. I've been sitting here, and earlier we spoke about the soil sampling in June that you do to make sure thing the crop has got Pre, enough nutrients. Pre-side dress nitrate test. Yep. And then we spoke about the R2, and I think Darren, um, excuse me, Brian said something about the ears are already determined at an R2. Is that right? No. What, V2. What, what we were saying at V2 is that's when ear shoots are initiated. So that's just when the ears actually start to form inside the plant is already at V2. So that plant's like two inches tall and already ear shoots are starting to form in the plant. So all, all we were getting as we think about reproduction is happening beginning at silking. Technically, that's when they call the beginning of reproduction is silking. But actually, reproduction really starts at about V2. So should we have 100% of our nutrients there at no. the V2? No. You know, it just depends nope. on what type of ground you're in and what your climate is. So in very dry areas, this is something, Brian, that, that sometimes people say, wait a second, why does Brian want to have so much stuff down up front? Well, heavy dirt, low rainfall area, this is your shot to get it in the ground. If you put it out later, you might not get it in. You might not get any more rain. And so for, for some things we want to we want to take care of early if our soils are heavy and we're in a dry area. Other areas get lots of rainfall and have really light soil, so they can kind of spoon feed things as they go through the season, and that might be a great idea for them. I, I look at those micronutrients as being very key to many of the functions that happen in the plant. I personally like getting my micronutrients out there really early, and I know a number of other guys that do the same thing, but you, know, you can certainly put stuff on later too if you'd like. All right, let's hit our next question right here. Uh, hi, I'm Ryan from Kansas. Um, between weather and markets and all that, there's a lot of questions about whether or not we're going to get a full complement of corn acres or bean acres and such. Yep. If you're looking at doing early pre-emerge herbicides and trying to stay flexible, what's a multiple <laughs> mode of action program? That here, might here, here's the thing. Flexibility comes at a cost. Well, and, and also there are some time limits too. I mean, if you say, okay, I'm going to give myself till April 1st to make my decision. My normal plant date is April 10th. That's great. And April 1st, you can go ahead and put stuff on. What's your normal plant date for corn and for beans? Uh, corn would be typically late April, early May, and beans might be anywhere from early May till the middle of June. Okay. Okay, yeah. so you got a little bit of time yet. And, you know, when you think about that uh, on these acres, if you're looking at weed control options, 
you're also thinking about the seed side too, that you got to have a pretty easy to deal with seed dealer that says, oh, no problem. Uh, I got you covered, Ryan. Just just uh, let me know the last possible minute. Okay, so a couple of things with that. First of all, yes, there are some products that could be used in both corn and beans. I think about Outlook and Dual, for example. So sometimes when we're doing a joint plot and we go, boy, we don't want to have to bring the sprayer back for two acres of something, our guys might just put out Outlook as an example. Uh, but the other thing is when you start talking about early pre-emerge spraying, I'm not in favor of early pre-emerge spraying if you're not going to plant soon after that frost comes out of the ground. In other words, what I mean by this is for me, I'm fine putting herbicide out a month before I plant because I'm going to plant the middle of April and there is nothing growing prior to the middle of April because the frost is still in the ground. For you, when that frost comes out of the ground, probably let's call it the middle of March, and you're going to go out there and spray then, and you're not going to plant for a month, you've had weeds growing that whole time, and it's going to use up some of that herbicide. So what I'm saying is your herbicide's going to run out of gas. You're going to need more herbicide then effectively later on if you want to have good residual until you reach crop canopy. Go yeah, ahead. And, and that is something that we've had to, we generally have to do at least two just to get us... <clears throat> Gotcha. into the early part of the crop so, because of that. But the question is really, if you want good pre, I'm not going to use one shot anyway, but what's something that would be good and effective and would last a while? Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of what you're left with. It's outlook or dual probably. I, I, I would say this too, and I'm just wondering, why, why are you waiting so long? I mean, I like the plant, plant literally when the frost is just coming out of the ground. Why are you waiting a month or two months after the frost is coming out? Are you, have you gotten better yields by waiting? A lot of times it stays wet. And we have, I mean, when it's dry, we can get in and we can get our yeah. corn planted middle of April and get our beans in yeah. early May. But uh, there's been times where we've had corn go in in the middle of April and we don't sure. get done until the end of June. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We run into water issues too. I will say the tiling has helped, but uh, yeah, we run into the same thing sometimes. Okay. Thanks. All right, yep, we'll get to our next question here. Go ahead. Ted, Nebraska, during the workshop, you talked about planting in cold soils, but what depth do you plant in and or what do you think about th planting corn at three inches? Yep, fantastic question. We didn't hit that today. I, I kind of forgot to put that on our list of all the things that we were going to talk about today. So normally we're going to say plant your corn between an inch and a half and two and a half inches deep. And the reason why is if you plant it too shallow, your nodal roots will come out above ground, okay? The main root system of the corn plant comes out above the corn seed. It's weird, but that's the way corn works. So we have to be at least an inch and a half deep. We typically don't want to go deeper than two and a half because usually you're going to give up yield because it either takes more energy to get out of the soil or we end up with more crusting problems. But in a dry year, it's a little bit different. I don't have to worry about crusting in a dry year. And I don't have to worry about, oh, it takes all kinds of extra energy, extra oomph to get out of the ground because my soil is fairly loose because it's dry. So what we're trying to do in a dry year is hit moisture. And even on our farm, we planted some corn at three inches deep. I'm fine with that on a dry year. I just don't like it on a wet year. Lots of questions here about corn because we're just wrapping up the Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. We'll be back with more questions right after this. Oh, 
Brian won the five-year trials because we to be all improved weeds. his ground. Experts agree so using multiple herbicides yield. with alternate so modes of action. He, he, yeah, his question, if you didn't hear that, was who won the five-year trial? So if you go to page 38, then we have weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough5EC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPVD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough5EC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough5EC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Farming is probably the most natural thing for a person to do. It taught me how to take pride in my work, how to put something ahead of myself, whether it was getting up early to feed the livestock or working late to bring in the harvest. Farming taught me to give it my best, no matter the job. My name is Tanner. I'm a farmer. I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Center here at the Ag PhD Field Day site. We're just wrapping up the Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. You're listening to Darren and Brian Hefty here, and we've got questions from our audience. Let's get back to another one of those questions. Uh, Ron from Iowa. Uh, I bought a farm that has woolly cupgrass on it, and I was wondering, how do you get rid of that? Ooh, woolly cupgrass. I remember back in the 1990s, Brian, that yep. somebody asked me at a meeting, and they said, oh, Darren, I got woolly cupgrass, and I've already spent, I can't remember how many dollars he had spent. It's an amazing amount of money trying to get rid of this woolly cup. And he said, what would you do? And, and I said, that's very easy. I would rent it to my brother. And <laughs> now, now there are some better alternatives. But let me ask you this one follow-up question first. Are you raising conventional corn, or are you raising traded corn? I'm raising uh, treated corn. Traded corn, so Roundup Ready or Liberty Link? Right. Okay, perfect. Because if you said conventional corn, the answer is a lot harder when you say Roundup Ready or Liberty Link corn. We've got two post-emerge options that can clean up woolly cupgrass. So either Roundup or Liberty post would be my solution, but you can't let grasses get up. So you want to try and do something pre to try and stop as many of the foxtail species likely out there as you can. So we've got a lot of guys that would still... Use a, a group 15, a, a harness surpass, outlook dual. Don't do that. Bal you but they aren't start great on woolly cup. Right. So, right. so the eight, yeah. Well, okay. go ahead if you want. Yes, I want to steal my thunder. Let, let's get right to the point. What you do is you do balance flex pre. You come with Roundup or Liberty post. Problem solved. Okay, balance flex is <laughs> okay. It's better on wet years than on dry years, and it, the rate is pretty specific because if you run into real high pH. 
real sandy spots. You can end I'm up not, with some injuries. I'm not that worried. It'll be fine. What uh, part but of Iowa are you from? Northwest? Uh, Spirit Lake, Northwest. Okay. Yep. Okay. It's going to be fine. Then you're going to be fine. Yep. So I do balance flex pre and then Liberty or Roundup Post. And most people say, well, wait a second. Liberty's not very good on grass. Woolly cup grass is the one grass it's actually really good on. So if you weren't raising uh, uh, Roundup Ready corn, then we would tell you, you got to come post-emerge with accent Q, worst case scenario, but otherwise some guys will try to go continuous corn and then they'll come with another HPPD early post, which we don't really love. So anyway. How, yep. about, how about in follow-up the next year with beans? Beans, piece of cake. You start with a trifluralin or prowl. Make sure you get that yellow out there. Then early post, um, you want to come with Roundup or Liberty, depending on whatever trait you're using. Or, I mean, Select Max or just about any post-emerge grass product will be just fine in soybeans. It's easy to take out of soybeans, much harder to take out of corn. Great question, Ron. Thanks. Uh, take another question here. Yeah, Dan from uh, Nebraska. We're setting our planter up for in-row fertilizers. And uh, is there any nutrients not other than a salt problem that you sh can't put in furrow? Sulfur, you don't want to put a lot of sulfur in furrow. I mean, you could do a very, very small rate, but sulfur can be hard on seed and hard on microbes. Yep, boron, you don't want too much boron in the furrow. Yep, got to be careful with boron. Um, you know, most of the other things, if it's a chelated form, if you're running with a low rate, there shouldn't be a lot of problem. But if you have a specific, so if you say, okay, I want to do this, and you ever just send us a question or call us sometime, then we can maybe give you a better answer. How about manganese? Manganese, not a big problem if it's manganese chelate. So we've a lot of times done a quart to manganese right in furrow. It's been great. Yep. All right, yep. another question way over here. Hi, this is Mike from uh, Minnesota. Uh, I've got a question. You talked about varying your population for corn. Yep. Um, what, how many different things, or how do you determine what you're going to do? Well, like at our trail, farm. Trail and lots of errors. Yep. <laughs> on, on, on our farm, the last few years, Rob Fritz, one of our agronomists who's in the back here, uh, he'll usually come up with this plan, and then I, I have the right to veto. So, so, he's trying, so basically you say, <laughs> if it doesn't work, we're going to blame Rob. <laughs> no, no, no. Ultimately, it's my job as the farmer. I got to make sure that I know, you know I'm comfortable with whatever it is. But what Rob's looking at is going to be past history on yield a lot of times. Past and history on yield and then also that hybrid. So a lot yep. of times we'll, we'll take a, a field that maybe has got some variability in it, and we'll pick a hybrid that maybe has a little bit more flex. So it can get a little girthier or get a little longer or maybe a deeper kernel. And that way it gives a little bit of forgiveness on rate. So on the areas that aren't super high yielding, we don't have to run this huge population. So let's just say, for example, you got a field that you're hoping for a 200 bushel average, but you know you're going to have anywhere from 140 to 240 out there. Well, you don't have to plant any more than 24,000 if your 240 is your top end spot. So if you said, well, 24,000 will kind of cover everything, you could try that. And, and in those low areas that, that or those areas that are kind of poor, well, uh, you're not going to get very many bushels per thousand. And in the really good areas, you might get up to 10. But for me, I look at it as, you know, I might vary my population from 20 to 30 in that area, in that field. And in those lower yielding areas, I'm going to go with closer to 20. And in those higher yielding areas, I might go closer to 30. So, yeah, I look at a lot of past yield history over a few years. And then if you've got some of that variable ground, look for the unusual year. Look for the 2012. 
that had you know really dry year and then you look for a 2019 that was really wet at least that's how it played out for our farm maybe for yours it's slightly different but you pick some of those things and you can kind of see okay on the extreme years here's where it goes on kind of more of an average year here's where it goes and that that might give you a long-term idea how to vary those rates darren brought up a good thing and he said flex and flex hybrids and personally this is my personal opinion and darren may think differently about this I'm not super concerned about having flex hybrids unless I'm going to a really super low population, number one. And number two, just understand every hybrid to some degree has flex because even if the size of the kernel gets a hair bigger, now all of a sudden I can have a lot more yield. It absolutely can vary every single hybrid a lot in yield anyway. So I'm not super worried about that unless I was going with a ridiculously low population. Okay, so you do mainly off of previous yields do you do anything yep. with soil types or anything well that else? that that all enters in basically because all that really matters at the end of the day quite frankly i don't give a rip about fertility i don't care about soil i don't care about anything except yield and so why did we have the lower yield and you have to ask yourself that question okay if there's something we could fix let's say it was a disease problem that led to that lower yield well then i'm going to throw that out but if the reason but why say it, say was it's, soil say it's type rent, say it's rented ground and it's very low fertility, and you know you're probably going to lose it next year, so you can't really afford to do this whole big build. Well, I'm going to be pretty darn conservative on my planting rate because I know if I've got low fertility, I'm worried I'm going to get enough nutrients into my plant. I might have problems here. I definitely don't want to overpopulate. Yep. Thanks. Right, uh, another question here. Hi, Jim from South Dakota. We didn't talk at all about the maturity, the day long in length. It used to be, you know, you gained two, three bushel per day, somewhere in that area. Does that have a big effect yet on these corn hybrids? It or? has an effect, yes. Uh, but is maturity everything? No. We, we've found some much better early hybrids. I well, will just say good, I'm good still example. a big believer good. in longer day stuff. But some of our agronomists, and even I would say Darren, is probably more in favor of a little bit earlier hybrid. I just say, look at the world record holder. What maturity corns he what, got. What and, and you think about that, and you say, oh, man, I did that with 111-day corn when I could have raised 115.16. So maturity is part of it, but where's the sweet spot? You know, for every one of us, you can look back and say, gosh, that year, I wish I would have had earlier corn. And other times where you have just unbelievable heat and a super long growing season and it doesn't freeze till Thanksgiving, you say, man, I could have planted a little longer day corn. Yep, so we just have to spread our risk and plant multiple maturities and multiple hybrids. To some degree. But what we did talk about today is using that University of Illinois website where it's got the maturity predictor, basically, and you can zoom down right to your geography and see what the last frost date in the spring is, the first frost date in the fall, and see what, based on your planting date and whatever maturity you want to raise, what are your odds that it's going to make it to maturity? And it's not as big a deal for us around here, but you start going north. I mean, up in North Dakota, oh my gosh, if you're planting too late a corn, you're in big trouble when that corn is 40 percent moisture and weighs 40 pounds in the fall you're going yeah i don't want to ever raise corn again so we got to be so, careful so mr hula has like 111 day corn and he raises 616 bushel an acre off that well in his contest field in the in the sweet spot that was his world record yield was 616 yes or that's not saying his whole farm average. Yep, he doesn't that, do the yes. same thing on every field, doesn't right. have the same conditions, doesn't have irrigation everywhere either. So, yeah, he's got a variety of conditions that he's got to face. 
We'll be back here in just a minute taking more questions from our audience. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Bill wants plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. This is a wake-up call for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations, and much more. There's great information here that we want to share with you. So to learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it all with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Center here at the Ag PhD Field Day site. And we're out of the studio because we had the Ag PhD Agronomy Workshop today, and we're just wrapping that up, taking some questions from our audience. Let's head back for another question. Yeah, I'm Gordon from South Dakota. I'm predominantly no-till. In the last few years, I've had a dandelion problem that's not very fun to handle. Yep. I did treat roughly half my corn acres to uh last fall with awesome. what well i used uh, a quart of 240 and a pound of atrazine on it last fall okay and uh 
but my other half did not get treated. So what should I try to do this spring? Well, that's going to be interesting to see that. I bet you're going to see a line out there all year or two. So we, we've tried some different things in the fall, and I loved one time uh, Brian said, you know, let's just go out there with a pint of Banvel. No, a quart. No, no, you started with a pint. I don't you? think so. No, nope. you started with a pint and no it way. didn't work. No way. Uh-uh. No, you're thinking about some stuff we did in the spring. Okay, I'll no, let Brian we, tell the story yeah, then. Yeah, so, no, our, our best solution for you in the fall is still going to be a quart of Banvel. Your quart of 2,4-D by itself, I, I mean, I'm just giving you my honest opinion here as an agronomist. That's way too weak. Throwing a pound of atrazine out there, that's definitely going to help you. We just don't like putting that much atrazine out in the fall because we worry about it leaching away. So I'd rather, if it was me, I'd take those same dollars, I'd, I'd put it into a higher rate of Banville, and that's what I would do. Okay, now, but, here's... But in the... Sp oh, well, go, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Finish I, your side first. Well, okay, I, you're I, done. I was just... No, I was just going to say, in the spring, what we've done with dandelions in the past, so assuming this is going to corn, we're talking about corn today... Uh, we, we've gone out with a pint of Banville. I think that's where Darren was starting to go with this story. We went out with a pint of Banville. We did it fairly early. The temperature was cold, and you would have thought we sprayed water. I'm like, what? Why is it not working at all? Too stinking cold. So we had one slide in here today where we said the temperature the de that day needs to be 70 degrees if you want the best results with dicamba. That's what our advice would be. You can only run a pint of, of Banville in the spring. That's, all, that's the highest rate you can use in the spring. In the fall, you can use a quart. But in the spring, you can only use a pint, and just the temperature's got to be better. We'd also tell you don't use 2,4-D in front of that corn for two reasons. Number one, the 2,4-D uh, dollar for dollar, especially this year when 2,4-D went way up in price, it's not going to be as good as the dicamba. And the second thing is it's much harder on the corn. So we'd rather see you do dicamba in the spring rather than 2,4-D. The other thing I'd say yeah. is with dandelion, and, and I, there's probably some people listening today, hopefully it's not you listening, saying, oh, dandelion, what's he talking about? That's not too tough. Just go out and pull a few dandelions and get the whole root. And you start thinking, what? I didn't realize it had that much underneath it. Now, think about this weed that got a good start in a no-till field, maybe at the tail end of your crop as, as it started to get some sunlight peeking through that crop as it was dying. All of a sudden, it has that whole nice warm fall that we had in 2021. That's got a massive root on it. So I totally see where you're coming from, Gordon. This is not an easy problem to, to solve. That's why if you're trying to kill dandelion in your lawn even or around your farmyard this spring, like Brad said, it needs warm weather and a very strong rate of product that you're putting on. Go ahead. Well, uh, last spring, that's what I did is I put a pint of Banville and a half pound of atrazine on in the spring. Yep. I would swear I never even put any chemical yep. in. Yep, yep. So, yeah, that was our same experience, too. What we did is we came back a couple weeks later, and this one time it didn't work, came back two weeks later, did the exact same thing, just pint of Banville, worked perfect. The temperature is everything in the spring. So that's why a lot of times it's easier for us to get that temperature in the fall and, and, and we get better kill that way anyway. Uh, you know, and I'd say too, a lot of people go, well, why don't you just use Roundup? And you can. You just have to use a high rate of Roundup and try to get it relatively early because if those dandelions are growing at all out in your cornfield, it hurts yield. Yeah, and it's not just the temperature that day, of course. It's the temperature a couple days leading up to it and a couple days yep. after. Yep. Great question, Gordon. Thank you. Let's take another one over here. I'm Dan in uh, North Carolina. Got a question about uh, variable rate uh, fertilizer and plant populations is common with you know different soil types. What about have you done any work with residual herbicides and using variable rates based on soil type and organic matter? 
I don't know that we've varied it like we've varied population where we've got 10 different rates going out in the same field. I mean, certainly we've tried different rates of the pre's, uh, but, but that's a good point. So let's just yep. talk about the principle of this whole thing, because Brian had a slide up today talking about, hey, how well do different chemistries attach to the soil? How well do different chemistries uh, move with water and that type of thing in the soil. So yeah, there are a lot of different characteristics with the herbicides. The good thing is with chemistry, it's pretty predictable. So you know, if I've got that, uh, well, like a peat soil, for example, just super high organic matter, heavy ground. Yeah, I'm going to need a much different rate of a product that I'm going to use in a real light, sandy, low organic matter. Soil. Okay, right on the label of all herbicides, well, I shouldn't say all, of many of the pre-emerge herbicides, it will tell you, based on soil type, what the appropriate rate is, soil type and organic matter. So uh, while we haven't done any of that for studies and varied the rate of the pre-herbicide across the field, could that be done? Absolutely. Should that be done? Probably in a lot of cases. The reason why we haven't talked about it that much is because a lot of times we're in specific areas and for a lot of people, they have fairly uh, somewhat similar soil types. And we're usually talking about not the 100% full labeled rate for a lot of these pre's because most people anymore are using some kind of follow-up that includes Roundup or Liberty or something that is going to kill a lot of the escapes. So we probably should be focused on that more than we have been in the past. That's a good idea. I'll probably add that into next year's corn agronomy workshop and maybe even into our soybean workshop we do in a couple of weeks, but good point. Thanks. All right, let's take another question here. Good afternoon, my name is Bill. I'm from Southern Minnesota. Uh, my question is maybe a little bit off topic. It's about carbon sequestration. I hate it. Um, I raise corn. I don't raise soybeans because I hate combining them. But anyway, um, mulward plow all my ground every year, and I know you guys are just cringing. My, my, I'm uh, not. Brian uh, is. Okay. <laughs> no, no. My, no, my organic matter. I, I am. Brian's not. Yeah, Brian loves that. <laughs> no, he doesn't. My, my organic <laughs> matter, depending on what uh, company tests the soil, is between 4.9 and 7. Wow. So I'm not so worried about that. But, That's right. Uh, we get hog manure every other year. Yep. And I'm just thinking about strip tilling and the hog manure. They use a drag line. Yep. How's that going to work with, like, carbon sequestration is basically no-till. Can you do any of those things? Yes. So this is a big topic. I don't know if we'll be able to finish all of this in our next two minutes before we need to take our next hey, break. I, I'm just going to say this, too. I'm with you on... I think there's so many flaws in this right now. I think the, the idea that farmers are going to sequester carbon that they haven't been sequestering in the past, and that just is going to allow for big manufacturing plants to pollute even more than they ever have, I think that's a big flaw in the program. Well, I'd what, like what? both. I'd like, hey, you know what? We can change our farming practices a little bit. We can try and do the best job we can for the environment, but we want those guys to change their practices and do the best job for the environment too. Then we all win. That's what I would support. But you know what? Oh, in the meantime, 
I know. I, if I was well, his president cares? for a day. Who cares, though? Here's the thing. And I, I pulled this up on the screen. So if you compare our, our climate today versus 40 million years ago, they've now been able to prove our temperature on Earth 40 million years ago was 10 degrees hotter, and we had four times the amount of carbon dioxide. A lot of this pollution that Darren's talking about is not pollution. It's carbon dioxide. Okay, that's what our plants breathe in. The more carbon dioxide we have on this planet, quite frankly, the higher our yields will be. They've proven that in a lab. If I pump in more carbon dioxide, I get more yield. Well, I think there's, so some, there's some pieces of truth in there. Uh, who knows? It's what, all truth. Who knows if there was 40 million years ago, let alone what exactly conditions oh, were here. Oh, my goodness. That's, okay, that's so, pretty crazy to so, trust science that says anything like that. But I will say you are correct. If there's more carbon dioxide, we've got better crop growth. And that's the answer for this. That's how the earth but, solves its own problems. There's more carbon dioxide. Exactly. There's more plant growth. That's how the system works. But here is the thing. You started by saying, I hate carbon sequestration. Let's, I, and I know where you're going with Are that. Are you but, saying but you hate somebody else telling you how to farm? It's the fact that I don't know anything about but, it, and nobody seems to have an answer. Well, and we're going to give you the answers oh. then. So here's the, th <laughs> here's the thing. It, we're the only ones that people can turn to for carbon sequestration. So that means they have to give us farmers money. And it means we have to produce more yield. So it's a win-win for us. So we're going to talk about it more right after this break. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. Today's technology has changed virtually everything. But grain sorghum largely hasn't changed until now. Introducing Emiflex herbicide, paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide-resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other tough weeds pre and post emergence so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum makers. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training. So be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. 
Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton Center at the site of the Ag PhD Field Day. We just completed a corn agronomy workshop and we had a question right before the break that was great about carbon sequestration and what's going on with building soil carbon and, and carbon dioxide in the air and everything else. So I, I said before the break, this is a big question. I didn't think we'd be able to get an answer in a couple minutes and of course we didn't. But just to give you a little background on this, if you're listening to the show today, there is, I don't care if we're talking governments or big corporations or even individuals, there are a lot of people that are really concerned about the carbon dioxide levels on our planet. I am not. Okay, I do not believe in all that because carbon dioxide has been higher in our history and we're still here. But nevertheless, if a lot of money is out there toward reducing carbon dioxide, we as farmers have the answer because we raise plants. So plants breathe in carbon dioxide each and every day that they are growing. And so anyway, if you're going to reduce carbon in the air, that car carbon dioxide in the air, that means we have to have more plants growing at a uh, basically higher yield level. Okay, the higher the yield, the more carbon dioxide they're gonna pull in. And the way we can get below zero on the carbon index scale, biofuels, by the way, are the only fuel out there that can be below zero on the carbon index scale. The only reason or the only way that can happen is if farmers build carbon dioxide levels, or I should say carbon levels in their soil. In other words, build soil organic matter. Okay, so we have a measurement on our soil test that says organic matter. If we can build that, that means we're sequestering carbon. We've pulled it out of the air. We've stuck it into the ground and that's what a lot of people are after. So the great thing about this is basically they have to pay us to sequester carbon if they want less carbon dioxide in the air. So as farmers, we win. But the question came up, all right, my my soil organic matter levels are already high, 4.9 to 7, and I'm moldboard plowing. So basically with moldboard plowing, that means I'm not building my soil organic matter levels most likely. So I'm probably not going to get any payments, and that's correct. So the question was, can I switch to strip-till? Will that help me build soil organic matter levels? Yes. Will that get me some payments? Yes. At this point, what they're doing is they're saying, hey, if you do these practices, let's call it uh, cover crops, reducing your tillage to either no-till or strip-till, and a, just a few other things, you can get a payment. But in my book, that payment's really, really small, $5 to maybe $15 an acre. I think someday that payment could be $50 an acre if you're truly building soil organic matter, and I'm dead serious, if these companies really want less carbon dioxide in the air, we can do that as farmers. We absolutely can. But here's the other side of this, and we were talking about this a little bit during the break. When you're already on some of your soils at 7% organic matter, do you want to build it anymore? 
I would not. To me, that's the top end. If you build it more, it's possible your yields and your profit could go down. So that's what I worry about a little bit. So I would step into that a little bit cautiously and, and be a little careful with that. But most people we work with have 2% organic matter, maybe 3 Building soil organic matter is great. Keep building it. We love 5% personally. If I had A or N organic matter percentage, I'd probably be shooting for 5, maybe 6. So anyway, that, that's how I would leave it. So anyway, I know there are lots of unanswered questions, but... I just look at, we have to deal in the facts. And today, there are only a few programs out there that'll pay you a little bit of money, and it's for certain practices. So that's what we know today. That's all we can do today. Yeah, and as far as building organic matter percentages, I know we, we get response sometimes from our listeners saying, well, you can't really build it fast. No, you can't. It's not like you can go from one to five in organic matter percentages overnight. But can you make a difference over your farming career over 20, 30, 40 years? Absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Yep. All right, let's take another question here in the back. Uh, I'm Martin from South Dakota, and it's our kind of our first year into strip till. And uh, we had uh, our, it got diagnosed as fluffy soil syndrome. Um, and I know that. Can That's a new one. Have you heard of that? Fluffy soil syndrome? I don't know. We've had some fluffy soil, that's, but I don't know if I've ever heard it called well, that. We've got to start making up some terms, Darren. That's yeah, go ahead. And, uh, it, I know it can stem back into water uptake, and we were really dry this year. But okay. we had one agronomist tell us that it's due to our strip-till application and the time period between planting and strip-tilling. And when did you strip-till? The spring? Yeah, in okay. the spring. And With so, what? Coulters or a shank? Uh, coulters. It's okay. the X row unit by soil water. Okay. Yep. Um, so we were told that we planted too soon after we strip tilled. So I just was wondering if you guys commonly wait a certain period of time before you go in and plant. Well, I know this. Uh, so like for the conventional till guys too, uh, guys that this, this year when it was dry and they'd stir up any amount of moisture with the tillage, if you waited a while before you planted, everything dried out. And that was, that was a problem. We saw more uneven emergence where the guys, if they worked it and got stuff planted right away into that little bit of moisture that was out there, it was better. So right. and that, if that was true, that, which I know that part's true, maybe, maybe you should have been right behind the strip tiller and caught any little tiny bit of moisture exactly. that there was there. Yeah, in a dry year, that's what you want to do. Any soil disturbance, you've got to be right behind it with that planter. In a dry year. If it's a wet year, you do whatever you want. And, and if you can wait long enough to until you get yeah, a rain to, let to go that plant, soil kind of fine. settle down again? Sure. Yes. But, but no, in, in that case and in a dry year, well, it's just like on our farm. Um, I, don't, I don't think we did any strip till in the spring this year, but, uh, but we did do tillage there, in the spring, spring, and you've got to plant yeah. immediately. Yep. That's, that's the big trick. You do that, and usually it turns out fine. And then the other thing is uh, planting depth. And we talked about that a little bit earlier, but on a dry year, you can and probably should plant just a little bit deeper. You want to try to get down to moisture. Uh, the, the last step is what you're doing with your planter, because seed to soil contact is so important. So you've got to make sure with that planter, if it's going to be lighter, fluffier, whatever you call it, uh, then you might want a little more, you've got to with the press wheels or something, do something to pack that down a little bit better. So maybe a better closing wheel or a different closing wheel or something in that situation. Hey, and Martin, our farm manager, Mike's in the back over. Can you raise your hand for a second, Mike? Uh, chat with Mike a little bit, too. He's, he's done so much strip till. He can tell you everything that could possibly go wrong uh, but, <laughs> or but every, most, every mistake yeah, but, we've made. But, Darren, most of our strip till we do in the fall. 
So yep. we don't yep. have uh, live. Give a lot of forgiveness, right? We don't have livestock running around uh, anymore. We used to, but we don't now. So we do pretty much all our strip till in the fall. About the only time we do it in the spring is if we run out of time in the fall, and then we'll switch to a coulter machine and do it in the spring. But you know, a lot of times, why were we not able to do it in the fall? Too wet. Okay, so this was a little bit different year. This was too dry and, and going into this, this year. So different situation. All right, let's get to our next question here. Hi, uh, I'm Bruce from Northwest Iowa, and I'm uh, interested in having this Thrive 3D system installed in my planner. Okay. And I was wanting recommendations on what to use for rotated ground and then also on corn on corn ground. Okay. Yep. Okay, so with a Thrive 3D system, for any of our listeners or anybody in the audience here isn't familiar with that, what it does is it basically turns your liquid insecticide into a foam. So it gives you better coverage throughout that furrow, and it also is much, much, much safer for the seed because it's now spread it out really nice. So if we're continuous corn, then usually we're talking about planting smart stacks corn. Either way, whether it's continuous corn or first-year corn, the, the product that runs through there is Capture LFR or Capture 3D, basically. So you can do that. The other option that you have, so there are really only two products you can run through that system at the moment. It's either Capture or it's Zyway. Zyway is the fungicide. So if you would prefer to use Zyway, you can. So maybe on your uh, rotated ground, you could run with the Zyway if you would like to. The, the other thing is, like on our farm, we've got in-furrow fertilizer capability, and we have this Thrive 3D system. So if I'd had that, I could put the capture with the fertilizer in-furrow, and I could run the Zyway with the 3D system. So you've got options there, but you don't have many. You've got two choices. Yeah, it's right, just a right question. Now, right now, they're working yes. on other things oh, they'll yeah. have through that system, they'll, too. They'll have lots. But right now, yeah, you either have the choice of insecticide or fungicide. That's it. What is the ethos? You know what ethos is? Yes. Uh, so we had that uh, today in our in the on the insecticide page. That's just capture plus a biofungicide. So yeah, when I say capture, yes, capture or ethos, but they both have capture as the insecticide. Yep. Right, thank you. Let's take another question over here. Oh uh, yeah, not yep. We, we're gonna have to get to break here, oh, Darren. Okay. All right, we'll, uh, we'll be right back with that question after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our radio show is a little bit different today because we're following the Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop and taking questions from our audience here in the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. We'll be right back with more questions coming up after this. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. 
How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? Hi, Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. This message is for all the corn and soybean growers out there who aren't made of money. If you're using a fungicide other than Zolera FX from UPL, you should know that no corn and soybean fungicide gives you a better return on investment, period. Zolera FX has two high-performance actives delivered at full rates for maximum performance and ROI in corn and soybeans. To see the data, go to ZoleraFX.com and always read and follow label directions. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we are taking questions from our audience here following the Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Let's take another question. Yeah, John from Minnesota. Um, earlier you were talking about putting on a pre as the frost was coming out of the ground, yep. like in March. What's your thoughts on putting it on like a fall duel, like before it freezes? Yeah. Or another yep. group 15? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've done a whole bunch of that over the years. We did some last fall, too. Works great. We just say the key is the timing. In other words, you don't want to do it in September when we're two months away from the ground freezing up because now weeds are going to suck up a bunch of that herbicide in the fall. Now it's not as good. And that timing is going to be a little different for you, John, than, than Ryan from Kansas that was talking right. about, uh, hey, i got to do a couple of pre's just to get me up to planting dates. But, but what we would say is if you're relatively close, I'd say probably in your area, within a month of when freeze-up is going to be, if you get out there, get that herbicide on, use a good strong rate, um, it, it should work just fine in the spring. That, that's happened for us. And, and we've used fall herbicides for 25 years. Uh, the, the one thing that I, I will say, though, and you probably heard it a little bit today, is we just tell you this works great when you plant early. If you're going to wait and plant late, then we would not advise an early spring herbicide, nor would we advise a fall herbicide, because now a bunch of that herbicide will get used in the spring before you ever plant. And our objective with these pre-herbicides is to get us to canopy. If we can get to canopy, the best weed killer there is is not a herbicide, it's crop canopy. That corn can shade the ground out and every weed's dead. So that's what we're after. Because sometimes we get complaints on some of these herbicides and it's like, okay, you had hail. 
or wind stripped up your crop or whatever. And we look at it, it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, your, your herbicide ran out of gas and now you didn't have crop canopy. That's also why in sweet corn we have as much problem killing weeds because a lot of people are like, well, I used the same herbicide in my sweet corn and it didn't work in my sweet corn. It did in my corn. I'm like, no, it worked fine in your sweet corn. It just will only last so long and that sweet corn doesn't have the good crop canopy that the field corn does. Good question. Oh, yeah, one yeah, more follow-up here. Um, is there a group 15 that you would recommend over another? I know fall dual was a thing, but it sure. does uh, harness or well, Zidua or anything one else. One thing like about the dual, though, and the same, same would be true with Outlook or Zidua, is now you've got something that could be used on corn, it could be used on soybeans, and uh, if you were in the same boat as Ryan where it's like, you know, I'm not sure on this field yet what I'm going to do. That might give you some more flexibility where harness and surpass aren't labeled for that kind of application. They actually are, though. One month is the rotation. You're fine on even harness and surpass. But to Darren's point, you just have to be a little bit careful. Anything you're going to use and whatever you could potentially rotate to or go to if you couldn't plant the corn. Uh, so that's another piece of advice for you is don't put your pre-herbicide on in the fall on ground that could flood or ground that you say, ah, I'm not 100% sure I'm going corn. Just, But anyway, uh, we, we wouldn't say that one is necessarily that much better than the other. And that was, uh, so a little bit earlier today, I showed adsorptivity and, you know, the solubility of these herbicides in the soil. There are some different numbers, but in reality, we don't see all that much different. Zidua probably lasts a little bit longer than a harness or surpass. Dual and Outlook probably also last a little bit longer than harness or surpass. So, you know, would I go Zidua? Maybe, but Zidua also costs a lot more money than Dual. So I weigh that out and I go, yep, I'm probably just going to go with the Dual. Call her good. All right, take another question. Uh, Joel from South Dakota. Uh, we've been strip-tilling part of our nitrogen down in the fall with our strip-till at a variable rate. Uh, when I do my nitrate test in June, should I be going in the row where that nitrogen was placed or beside? Where do you recommend for that test? Yep, I probably, if in your case, I probably would go in the row. Because let's face it, if I have put out, let's say, 100 pounds, and I've only had, if I look, I can see what roughly should have gotten used by the crop at that stage. If it's only 30, well, there should be 70 pounds still out there. So if I test in between the row, that's going to give me a 70-pound lower total than what my test in the row should be theoretically. And to prove that out the first time, spend a little extra money. It costs five extra bucks, five bucks. So I might go test in the row and between the row, you know, on maybe, let's call it three spots, and then I prove to myself, yeah, I probably need to be testing in the row. So that's what I do. Uh, that reminded me on the earlier question that we had on the strip till, and we start talking about manure application, I get really concerned about how much salt there's going to be. So when, when Joel just brought up nitrogen, yes, there is some salt there, but there's not this ridiculously high rate that's going out. Whereas when we start talking about manure, people are talking about pumping thousands of gallons into potentially each furrow. You got to be really careful because our, our trial work in the past has basically shown you hit a certain point on salt and all of a sudden your yields start going down. And it's even worse when you don't spread it all out. You've got it in a concentrated band. So whether we're talking strip till or however you want to do it, anytime there's a concentrated band, we just have to be careful about the product we're using, the salt content, and when that plant is going to hit that so we don't end up with any problems. In your case, I'm not worried about your nitrogen deal. It'll be fine. But if it was high rates of manure, I, then, then I'd start to get a little worried, and, and I just want to be cautious. 
All right, I think we have time for two more questions. There's one yep. over here, and Morgan, there's one more question right over here, too. Let's start over here. Hi, I'm Alex from South Dakota. Um, I got some fields that are extremely low in potassium yep. and extremely high in magnesium. Yep. So base saturation is 1% or less. Yep. Magnesium is close to 30. Okay. Um, I was reading some stuff by Neil Kinsey that it's extremely difficult to build up base saturation of potassium because the pH levels are, are so high in those fields. Um, I'd have to leach, figure out a way to leach away some of that magnesium to have some room for the potassium. Would that be your guys' opinion? We, we've absolutely we... had those same soils. Those same numbers yep. show up on yep. our tests. We've had yep. magnesium, 40%, 50%, just very heavy, sticky soil, tough to work with. Yep, we know that. Uh, so there's a couple things. Uh, and so, Neil, like I say, Neil will be here in three weeks. And I know this question is going to come up a bunch to him because there's a lot of that ground around here. Let's get to the answer. So the well, answer is, the answer can is... you build it? Yes, you can. You can build your K levels with potash. It's just that our suggestion is going to be make sure you got install, good drainage. Install drainage style and, and use some sulfur. Use some sulfur along with it because we want to try to, in time, either flush a little of the magnesium out or drive the pH down or whatever. But we, we put on some big rates of potash I mean, like in one shot. And, and so we went through this at our soils clinic just a couple of weeks ago to, to show you and prove we absolutely can do it. And we've kept those levels up after several years, too. So it can be done. But his whole point is, and I wish he would have added this to what he said, is you can do it. It's just you want to be working on getting that pH down and getting that ma magnesium out. So you don't have to go ridiculously high elemental sulfur, but at least a little bit of sulfur out there. And it could even be ammonium sulfate, worst case scenario. But get more sulfur out there than you would normally apply for your crop. So, so if I do add extra sulfur and extra yep. potash, yep. I mean, are, like ten would it take ten years to drop that. You know, maybe build that saturation one percent, like that. All depends like on that. how. What do you all depends to on what you want to do. So okay. we had some ground like this, and we put fourteen hundred pounds of potash per acre out there and split the field. Did that on half. It literally looked like a pink gravel road where we spread fourteen hundred pounds of potash. And yeah, it took a, it took what two three years, and we were for right. it to all break down because we didn't have lots of rainfall. But we put it out right before twenty twelve. Yeah fall of 2011 and then we got no rain for a year but so. anyway the one field uh we had to do 700 pounds and in one year flipped it and w ph came down magnesium came down a little bit potassium went up and we got her almost all the way up to 400 or four percent in one year so it can be done in a short time it just depends on what you want to spend so I'll, I'll just say fall of 2020 we did a lot of work with potash when it was super cheap and we just said any field that isn't up to at least four, if not even six, we're building it all up this fall. We had a super long fall. Potash was at a 15-year low, and we did it then. And we'll get back to low fertilizer prices at some point, and that's the time it hit it. In the meantime, make sure you're putting out more potassium than your soil is uh, – then your crop is going to use. You don't have to be in a big build program, but be on a build program. We've also been able to make that work over time too, even in those low K soils. All right, got about a minute yep. left, but we got one more question. I'm Desmond from South Dakota, and I would like to build on the, on the strip-till uh, nutrient concentration question two questions ago. You guys always talk about how important it is to build up the necessary soil levels, nutrient levels in your soil, and then that'll help you r really much with farming. My question is, the nutrient soil levels where? In the strip, 
or in between the strip. Okay, usually when we talk strip till, we're not talking about build programs. We're talking about feeding the crop. When we want to build, that's when we broadcast and we want to fix everything. So that, that's a big distinction there. And so that's how we usually will operate on our farm. We'll put out what we believe the crop's going to remove in the strip till. Then we're good. Because otherwise, to your point, if you start building here, building there, and in between we haven't built, now it gets really hard. How do you soil test? What happens with the soil microbes? Everything else. So that's usually our advice. Build with broadcast and feed the crop with strip till. Unfortunately, we can talk more about that after the radio show today. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to join us for more Ag PhD Radio each weekday.